Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 80. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them. But I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work. If I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. I'm so happy to have on my show today Michael D. Watkins. He's the world world's leading expert on accelerating leadership transition. He's the author of a great book of uh, its international bestseller, The First 90 Days, which The Economist recognized as the onboarding Bible. He's a co-founder of Genesis Advisors, a leadership develop, development consultancy located in Massachusetts. And uh, Michael... Welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. I'm just really pleased to be here. Well, I, know, I apologize for all the reschedulings, but it's, I'm glad to have you back here on board. So tell me a little bit about yourself and the background. Let's learn a little bit more about you and um, what makes you so passionate about uh, leadership. Well, you know, it's interesting that, that leaders inevitably go through significant transitions and many of them over the course of, uh, of their careers. I mean, you, you know as someone who came up for the services, you know, the importance of a new leader, getting into a new role, taking charge really effectively immediately, building credibility, building confidence, creating momentum behind what they're doing. And I, when I started really doing this work in the late 90s, there really was very little out there about that, that phenomenon of how do you really effectively take charge in a new leadership role. There was lots about leading change in kind of a general sense. There's certainly lots about leadership from a a kind of, uh, you know, more general point of view, but bringing those things together of coming into a new role, taking charge in a new role, needing to make uh, changes happen in an organization, getting up the learning curve really, really quickly, even as, you know, you may be having to do some work on yourself and your and your capabilities. It was really that combination of things that got me, got me really fascinated. You know, I wish I would have had, I didn't even know what the term onboarding was. And, and there's, I think back to the couple instances when I took over a brand new role, I was promoted and it was so exciting. And, and man, there were some, there were some lessons there that I wish I would have had this book and this Bible in front of me before I went through that process. You know, it's almost, and it doesn't matter if you're taking over, I think a lot of times people think CE, you know, high level leadership position, but this can be a supervisor going into a, a manager role or a manager going into a director role, right? I mean, this book is really for everybody. It, it, it really is. And I think my, my view on this is that the earlier you learn to be good at making transitions, the better because you've got more opportunity to, to get it right. You know, I think that, um, you know, people inevitably sort of learn over time how to make those sorts of transitions, but they often develop approaches that work well for them in some situations, but not others, or at some point they hit a, a situation that really throws them for a loop, and they 
they may derail completely at that point, or they may just simply underperform relative to what they they might have done. But you know, I think the sooner that young leaders learn to make great moves into new roles, the better, because that's just going to be a, a sort of a set of ideas and techniques that they're going to carry with them right through their entire careers. Yeah, I mean, leaders at every level. Are, are very vulnerable in that that first few months of of their new their new job, right? I mean, it's and it usually has to do with their lack of understanding of what their role really is. And I, I'm curious to, to get your take on this, but I kind of tend to say that, um, especially let, let's look at why people get put into leadership roles in the first place. They're usually promoted because they were successful in some technical ability uh, in their previous role, right? I mean, it seems to make sense, but when they get in that new role, it's a whole different skill set, usually a leadership skill set that they weren't prepared for. Is, 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 do you see that that's kind of the, the doubt? Absolutely. The, right. yeah. and so I, I think it, you know, there's a couple of really interesting things in what you're saying, right? First is, you know, what kinds of transitions are you going through? Right. I mean, there's a big difference between onboarding in the sense of coming into a new organization from the outside mm. versus being promoted to a new level. Right. You're onboarding into a new organization. You're coming into a whole new culture. There's a political system you may not know very much, very much about. You're, whereas, you know, you're being promoted to a new level. It's, it's a different set of competencies. I mean, you may know the organization really reasonably well. You may know the business reasonably well. But it's really, you know, what does it take to operate effectively at that new level? But what those things share in common is the second thing you're really pointing us to, which is that, you know, Mark Twain, I think, you know, said it sort of perfectly, uh, you, you know, to a person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, <laughs> right. right? And so, you know, you get good at certain things. It's what gets you, you know, promoted or hired or moved. You know, certainly by the time I see people at sort of the midpoint in their careers, they've got really big hammers, right? And and the worry is that they're going to go into a new role, and they're going to see a whole set of, you know, nails to be pounded, whether that's really what they need to be doing or not. And so it's a really good chance when you're going into a new role to take a step back and sort of ask yourself, what's the work you need to do on yourself here, right? What's the set of skills and competencies that's really going to make you effective in the new role? And for sure, if there's if you can leverage your strengths, that's terrific, right? But also recognize you may have some vulnerabilities, and you may need to be doing some work to compensate for those. Yeah, I think it's a it, what you're saying is it's a mistake to think that you know because you were successful in your previous role, you know you're going to be doing the same things you did, right? So that that's a that's a huge mistake. You know, you're not going to have the same set of nails as you had, like you, in your example as previous. Ab- right? Absolutely, right? And so that's one of the key mistakes. I, uh, I see people making going into new roles. And, and when I started doing research originally on transitions, the place I started was what are common mistakes that people make as they go into new roles. And, and what you just described is, is kind of mistake number one, right? It's really continuing to do what made you successful in the old role, whether or not it really is what's going to make you successful in the new role. And so the discipline of recognizing that, you know, you may need to do some things that, just don't necessarily come naturally, right? And so, and in fact, when I, when I, you know, coach people, I often ask them a couple of questions about this, right? Which is, and one question is, what are you really good at and really love doing that you need to do less of? And what are you, you know, not so good at or don't feel so comfortable doing or perhaps don't like doing so much that you need to do more of? And as long as you really focus in on disciplining yourself to let go of certain things and embrace certain things, you know, you're not going to get stuck in that kind of comfort zone trap, which is just so so dangerous. I like what you said there about um, 
you know, finding out, uh, you know, assessing your vulnerabilities, finding out maybe what you're not so good at, because that kind of sets the stage to really hit the ground. I mean, like you say in your book, you want to hit the ground running. But what I see a lot of new leaders do, and I've been guilty of this early on in my leadership journey, is... I wanted to make that impact. I wanted to get known, but you kind of hit the ground running and, and you're, you're going in the wrong direction. But so what you're saying is being a little introspective and reflective about your strengths and your vulnerabilities. Um, and that's still a good way to keep the momentum going, or at least make an impact in the, in this, in the, in right out of the gate. Right. Absolutely. And you just hit sort of a second big trap that I see people, you know, fall into, and I call it the action imperative, right? The, the, the sense that you come into a new role and you need to be doing something. Right. Uh, you know, you be, and it often that pressure comes from inside, that sense that, hey, they put me in this job, gosh, you know, I better prove they made, a, they, they made the right choice, I should be doing something, right? And this sort of leads, in the worst cases, to people implementing change for the sake of change, you know, but it also, in, in less severe cases, means people start trying to make decisions or or take action before they really know enough uh, to, to be doing it. And, and that really hurts the credibility, right? And, and what's interesting about this to me is, you know, sometimes you really are under pressure, right, to really need to, to, to get certain things done. But often where that pressure comes is from the inside, right? It's that, that sense that, that I need to prove myself in some way. And, and I agree with you, by the way, that this is something that I think happens more to younger leaders. As you gain more experience, you gain more confidence. You often have the ability to kind of slow yourself down a little bit when you when you need to, but it's a second trap. You know, if if the sort of the comfort zone trap is one, then the action imperative piece is certainly uh, certainly a second one. Yeah. So I go into this new role. I'm there. I'm in a new organization, maybe, or even a new department, and I'm just inundated with manuals, company policies, getting my computer set up, it can seem overwhelming. How can you max, I mean, to me, it can seems like you can waste 30 days just trying to get your computer set up and, and getting through all the policy manuals and all the other, right. you know, kind of noise. How can you maximize, you know, what, what should you focus on? Because you're not going to get it, you're not going to study at all. So what should you you put your focus and intention on? Well, so I think what you're hitting there, that which is really crucial, is that a lot of what's really essential in the early in the new role is getting up the learning curve as efficiently and as effectively as possible. And the problem is that once you're into the role, there's typically a lot of distractions, right? Which you're being called to and and stuff that you know, kind of, you need to sort of check the boxes on. And this can really suck a lot of energy out of you and 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 take away from that that you know real deeper learning about what's this business all about, what's this culture all about, you know, how do I navigate the politics of this, which are really the essential things that you need to be focusing in on. So, there's, you know, there's a couple of things, answers. One, one is you've got to take control of your transition. Right? You can't just, you know, accept everything that the people are throwing at you. Some of it you have to, of course, right? You know, your, your boss calls a review meeting, you're going to be there, right? But, but I, you know, I really counsel people not to let others take command of their schedules completely early on in their new roles and schedule them into a whole bunch of meetings hither and thither without a lot of thought being given to how are they really going to you know, maximize the learning that can happen and what key kinds of learning do they really need to engage in early on. Right. I think the, the second thing really is, is making use of the time before you're actually formally in the job. You know, Dan Champ and I, we, we, we co-authored a book back in... Um, 1999, the called Break from the Start, and, and 
coined this idea of the fuzzy front end, right? The, the notion that there's a period of time between selection, whether it's external hire, internal promote, and when you formally take the new job, when you have a lot of scope to engage in certain kinds of learning before you're, you're you know, into the flow and inundated by all of what's, what's going on. And so, to me, the, the leaders that do this the best are the ones that um, really take advantage of that time and really get themselves off to a running start even before they're actually in the new role. You know, I, there's a guy you know, going into a major job in a big healthcare company right now, and he's done just a, a brilliant job of this. I mean, he actually doesn't formally take the role till next week, but he's been engaged in, in, the, in the learning process for more than a month at this point, and he's really ready to go. You know, and so, so thinking about those two things, right? One is for how do you take control of your learning process? How do you you really extract the maximum value? How do you set learning goals? That's sort of one piece. The second piece is that precious time before you really get on, get into the new role. You know, how can you maximize the benefit of that time? I think for me, uh, especially if you can do some of that before you, before you get to the role, and sometimes it's not possible, but I, I think for me, the, you hit on the culture and the politics, which I think are key and essential, and understanding kind of those dynamics and, and asking around. I try to get that done before I start the, the new role. Sometimes it's not possible. But when I get into that new role, I think for me what's worked well is um, getting those one-on-ones with the direct reports you talk a little bit about that in your book, so I think that is essential. What, what would you do, or how would you maximize those time with those one-on-ones and those initial meetings? Well, so that's a great example, right, which, which is that, you know, those are incredibly precious early interactions, and a, and a couple things are going on, right? One is you're learning about the business, but you're also learning about them, right, as people, because inevitably you're inheriting a team and you're beginning to assess that team and think about, is, that the, is this the team I really need? you know, to take us where, where we need to go. You're also forming their impressions, right? They're getting an impression of you, who you are, what you represent as a leader. So so those early one-on-ones are just absolutely, you know, tremendously important interactions. I see sometimes people not be as systematic about those as they need to be. I mean, I basically, you know, counsel leaders to treat it like a formal, you know, um, data gathering exercise, put together a standard set of questions that you're going to roughly go through when you have those meetings, have a sense of what of what the progression is of what you're going to talk about a little bit, maybe about yourself and them as people, then a series of questions about the business, because then you can begin to sort of distill out, you know, the similarities and differences in what people are saying, who's being forthcoming with you, who isn't being so forthcoming, you know, it leads almost right away to certain additional questions you might ask. And, and uh, in the process of doing that, you create the impression that you're really getting up the learning curve fast, and you are, right? So so there's a lot that you can do to maximize the benefit of those of those early interactions. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you have in the book there, the, the STARS model, which helps you kind of diagnose the business situation. To, uh, educate me on that a little bit. Sure. So, so the basic idea there is that the way you transition into a new role is going to depend a lot on what state that new organization is in, right? So, so this sort of hit me over the head, you know, early on in the work I was doing. I, I was working a lot at Johnson and Johnson in the early days, and and you know, working with leaders right, you know, around the globe, and 
developing programs related to, you know, this set of ideas and helping people get up to speed. And it became very obvious that there's a big difference between being in a mature, a mature business versus a rapidly growing business, being in a, you know, crisis turnaround environment versus one where there's kind of a, if you will, a slow leak in the business, you know, but it's not a crisis. So part of what I was doing was really trying to distill out, you know, a framework for thinking about those different kinds of situations and how you might modify the way you approach making transitions into them, depending on which one you have or more commonly what mix you have, right? Because often you're getting a mix of things. There's a piece of uh, something that's in accelerated growth. There's a piece that's in turnaround. And the STARS model was really, you know, it stands for Startup, Turnaround, Accelerated Growth, Realignment, Sustaining Success, which were some of the key categories uh, of different business situations. You know, sustaining success often is about how do you continue to make growth happen in a mature environment, for example, right? Whereas realignment is that slow leak, you know, there's problems mounting, but we're not yet in crisis. You know, turnaround is the burning platform where, you typically have more scope to come in and do some fairly dramatic things because if you don't, <laughs> you know, it's really going to be a, be a disaster. Right. What do you think is more challenging? Is it the, the – you always hear about the startup. Everybody's kind of drawn towards the startup and loves hearing stories about startups. Is that the most challenging one? No, not at all. Uh, you know, I, I, should, I should say each one has its own challenges, right? And so it's not like, you know, any one of these is easy, right? Right. But if you think, you know, there's some interesting kind of things that go on there because high potential leaders are often drawn to startups, accelerated growth situations, and turnarounds. Right. Why? Because they're dramatic, because they can have an individual impact, because, you know, frankly, from a career point of view, they, they look pretty good on a, on a CV, right, or a resume. And so, whereas things like, you know, realigning a business or sustaining success in a business or shutting down a business, you know, they're, they're actually typically a lot harder, right? Because you're dealing with a lot of legacy constraints. Um, they're often much more political. Uh, you can't, you know, necessarily have the same kind of individual impact that you would in some of those more dramatic kind of situations. And so, you know, I, I worry a little bit that, that we incentivize leaders and organizations to go for the dramatic when, when really so much of what businesses need to do is, is, is more along the lines of, you know, let's realign businesses, let's sustain success in key businesses, and so on. Yeah, it, it is true that, you know, the high potentials are going to be drawn to the more dr- dramatic, but it's just as critical realignment can, can you know, because if you fail in that realignment, then you're going to a turnaround and then possibly a, a shutdown or going out of business. Exactly. And what, but what makes it hard is, you know, you're, you're in realigning a business, and if you're successful, you know, what happens? Well, nothing, right? Or nothing dramatic happens, right? It's the, it's the bullet dodged, if you will. And so, you know, people in realignments and sustained success situations can feel like there's nowhere to go but down, you know, and, and there's an element of truth in that, that, and that's part of what makes them so tough. Another thing that makes them so tough is that there's not the sense of urgency typically built into the situations where there is in driving, you know, a growth platform or, or um, you know, working with a with a with a turnaround uh, kind of environment. And it's interesting because I, I, you know, we do surveys sometimes in in the programs that we do, and we ask leaders to in the programs to, you know, if you had your choice, what would you, which of these would you take on, and which you know, 
in in your company, what's the relative distribution of, of, of these different types of business situation, right? And what you find is successful companies, you know, 65% of what goes on in the business is around realignment and sustaining success. And we'd hope that was the case, right? And the rest is accelerating growth, you know, not, maybe not too much turnaround. But you ask them, what do you, what do you want to do? And, and no one wants to sustain success or realign, right? And so it, it creates this interesting kind of, I think, paradox from a developmental point of view. You know, great businesses have to figure out how to, you know, incentivize good people to want to do some of what the core of the business really needs. Yeah, I think some of your greatest challenges are definitely going to come from the sustaining success side because that's where you, you're going to get uh, the biggest resistance to change, the biggest uh – I mean, let's be honest, the, the mediocrity and the complacency start to set in in those stages. And um, to how to, you know, it's a leadership challenge to try to get the innovative and the creative ideas keep going, you know, and to stay one step ahead of the changing tides and your competitors and all of that. So, Oh, absolutely. Good. I couldn't agree with you more. <clears throat> I think it's important. I love how you highlighted the book because that's stuff I never even thought of. Even Every time I've taken a new role, I didn't even think about where the business really was. You were just kind of focused on you know, what you're going to do next. But I think it's critical if you take a step back because that's going to help you uh, decide what you're going to do in the next 90 days, right? I mean, so I I love how you pointed that out in your book. And, you know, and I love how too, and I'm a big proponent of this, is securing the early wins. I mean, early wins are so critical. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So so I think that, you know, you want to be careful when you say early wins that, you, that, you, that people don't hear kind of like quick wins or superficial wins or, or low-hanging fruit, right. you know, I, which is, I think, a confusion I sometimes hear. The key thing here is that really, you know, there's a process of building personal credibility and, and building momentum in the organization that's going on in those early days. And we can't make any bones about it, right? People are, you know, trying to figure out who the new leader is, what do they represent? You know, are they making things happen, good things in the organization? Do they have credibility? And getting some early successes is a great way, both as an individual leader and as an organization, to really, you know, begin to build enthusiasm, build momentum, give people a sense that exciting things are happening. So, you know, you want to be thinking about where you're going to get those early wins because you also have limited energy and attention, right? There's a bucket of energy you have. And you've got to be very careful in how you allocate that set of that that amount of energy. And so, I just encourage leaders to think hard about what is it that's going to help you you as a leader build credibility and give you the scope to do even more to help begin to move the organization in promising directions that have people then get excited about the the way things are going. You know, early on, it can be an early win to be seen to be learning quickly as a leader about the new role and dem- and really showing that you you know you're connecting and you understand and appreciate what's been done as you move forward it's got to be typically you know things you do that really begin to have an operational impact on the business right a focusing of resource some successes in, in, in you know in the sales side whatever it is right you've got to be thoughtful about where you're going to kind of um, you know focus your attention and energy and really you know think through that in terms of how you're going to leverage that to to create momentum for yourself yeah i've seen a lot of a lot of folks in this this stage they come in and it drives it drives people crazy you know it's kind of the the trap of you know well this is how we did it at 
XYZ Corporation or this is how I did it there and you hear it over and over, you know, and that, that really turns people off. It's kind of not adjusting to me that kind of fits into your trap of not adjusting to the, the culture that you're in now, you know, and um well, there's a couple of other traps you just hit right on the head, right? One is, I, I call it, you know, coming in with, and quotes, the answer, right? right. That, that you've got an answer for the organization's problems and it's what you did in the last place, you know. And even if that's true, no one wants to hear it, and no one wants to believe it, right? You've always got to influence and socialize and, and, and demonstrate that you understand and, and customize what you do, you know, to make it applicable to the new organization and its culture. Right, and so you never want to hear yourself uttering the words "when I was at <laughs> right. we," right? You just because no one cares, and and in fact, they, 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 it's not even that they don't care; that's actively a negative. Yep. But the other one they're kind of pointing to too that's crucial is the kind of riding off in all directions problem, right? Which is trying to do too much, yeah. you know, trying to, hoping that if you, if you throw enough mud up against the wall, something's going to stick. And and it's, you know, focus is essential in those early days in a, in a new leadership role. Yeah. You know, one uh, hard lesson I had in my leadership career was not fully understanding how to uh, uh, negotiate or manage upwards or, with my new boss. And, sure. and um, you hit some, some great don'ts in your book. Um, hit some of those hit for, for our listeners out there. What are some of the don'ts? Um, first of all, you, you have to, as part of your role, you got to learn how to lead and negotiate with your boss, but what are some of the traps there? Well, I think, I think you kind of hit, hit it on the head, first of all, when you use the word negotiate, right, which is as you become more senior, you know, expectations and resources are a subject of negotiation between you and your boss. And so let's understand that and let's approach it that way and let's not assume that it's, you know, simply you taking orders because that's typically not the case. And and also what you can do is depending a lot on what resources you're given to do it with, right? And so there always has to be this conversation that is about both expectations but also about resources. And if there's more resource, then more can be done. If there's less, then, then obviously less can be done. Um, I think as well, you know, just make sure that you think hard about style, right? Your style, your boss's style, how best you can work with them. Don't expect your boss to change their style. Expect that you're going to have to make adjustments in terms of how you communicate. Ask yourself, how does this person prefer me to communicate with them? How much detail do they like? What modes of communication do they prefer? Understand, too, you know, that part of why you're there, you know, is to help them achieve the goals they want to achieve. And so as you think through those early wins, you know, be sure you're focusing a fair amount of attention on what will my boss consider a win and how is this going to sort of, you know, factor into the bigger picture of what they're trying to uh, to, to, to do. Um, so that would be a couple of examples of sort of, you know, things that you shouldn't do, right? Don't expect your boss's style to change. You know, do be adaptive in the face of what's going on. Think hard about how you fit into the bigger picture. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty classic stuff like that. Yeah, I love too, and I hate. Um, I hated when I was somebody's boss, and they came to me, you know the running down the checklist. You know they felt like the need to kind of justify their existence, I guess, and and click off a checklist of look at all the things I've done. I, I, I'm not concerned about that. I mean, you know, it's it's about the results of the bigger picture, and I, I love how you highlighted that one. And, um, oh, thanks. And not and not approaching your 
don't just approach your boss with problems. You know, if you do, make sure you have a solution too. You know, you got to maximize that time you're with them because. Well, so I'd be careful with that last one, right? Because I think that you know, I always tell people, you know, if you say to the people who work for you, "Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions." You shouldn't expect to hear about anything until someone feels like they've got a solution. Yeah, great point. Yep. What I like to say is, don't bring problems without a plan for how you're going to yeah. do What's... something about it. And, and it's, I mean, I know it's a subtle difference, but I think it's actually an important one. Very, very, and that's exactly what I meant. But you're absolutely right. You know, um, yeah, because if you if you came across like you said the the first way, you're, you're going to be clueless what's going on. You know, you want people to t- you know you want to be tied into what's happening. Um, but you want people to feel have that kind of creative freedom to provide plans and solutions, right? Absolutely, and and it's a fine line as a leader, right? To, to you know, I mean, you, you you want to be encouraging self reliance, but you also don't want to be you know having people hold back the bad news, right? You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think it was Colin Powell who said, you know, bad news doesn't improve with age, right? And so, you know. It, how, how you how you strike that balance? I think is actually pretty important for leaders to, to be thinking about. Some of the best um, mentors I've worked for, leaders I've worked for, when you would come to that and you'd have a plan, they would always turn around. They wouldn't say, "Well, what do you think?" You know, they would always, and you kind of just put it back on you. What do you think? And then you you're forced, or they'd ask why. They keep asking why, and then when you present their solution, then they say, "Okay, well, that's what we're going to do." And it's very invigorating and very positive when you have uh, leadership. Like that, so that's something I've always taken when I've been in in the leadership role. Is asking what they think the solution is. You know, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think to do otherwise is is basically you're you're creating a reliance. Yes. You know, on people, and and that's going to hurt you in the end, right? It's going to put more weight on your shoulders to to really you know sort of make things things happen, right? And so I I really think that the better job you can do of effectively and judiciously delegating and empowering people, absolutely the better for everybody. Well, I've seen the, the heart of being in a new leadership role, eventually you're going to have to get this thing in motion. It's not all about you. It's about them, the people that are working for you and with you. So talk to me about building a team and uh, some of the traps that we can avoid, in, in, especially in the early phases. Sure. So I think you know, it goes back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier, right? Which is that you, you don't get to build a team really. Generally, what you get to do is inherit a team, right? And then you've got to figure out, okay, you know, who are these folks? You've got to go through an assessment, you know, sort of piece. You've got to be thinking about, you know, where you're going to try and take the organization, and you've got to be thinking about the fit between the team you have and and, and that. You've got to be thinking about the roles that people are playing. You've got to be thinking about how your predecessor ran the team, right? What kind of processes did they use? Who who was involved? What was the rhythm, right, if, if you will, that they used to, to lead the team? So there's all those things that you have to be thinking hard about, you know, because the, the, the team, frankly, and we'll fall back on military lingo here for a moment, right? The team is a, is a core force multiplier for you, right? You can't do everything. You've got to be achieving results for your team. At the same time, you don't, don't get to get to pick these people typically. You know, you may get to pick a few, um, and, and as time goes on, you may get to pick more, but <clears throat> often the name of the game is, how do I get the very best out of the group of people I've inherited? Um, and, and that, you know, begins with a pretty thorough understanding of who these people are, right, and, and what they're good at. Yeah, I love and, the... I love and how things worked in the past. 
I love the analogy that you had. Of, and you're right. It's so key is we have these grand visions. We're going to create this A team, bring all these people. And the reality is you got to, in the beginning especially, you got to deal with what you got. And, and your analogy of like, you know, repairing an airplane in mid-flight. And, um, exactly. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an enormous uh, Don Rumsfeld fan, but one, th- one thing he said that I always liked was, you know, you, you fight a war with the army you have, you know, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yep. But you're not you're not necessarily you know we'd love to have the army you know <laughs> that we'd like to have but in practice that's just not what happens you know so the art of getting the best out of a group of people that's a that's a very important art form you know well and and I I've seen too where people try to clean house a little bit too quickly you know you gotta see what you got and tap into talents because there there are sometimes. I've seen a lot of diamonds in the rough. They just haven't been. They haven't been in the right environment or the right uh, kind of leadership environment to where they could blossom. And, I think that's an, that's an important point, right? I think that you've got to make up your own mind about these people because it could be that part of why they weren't performing well is they weren't being led well. Yep. And and you know, or it could be they're being scapegoated for some of what went on before you you arrived, and so. I do think you have to make up your own mind and you have to be focused in on, you know, really what's going to be the right group of people. And it's you, right? It's your leadership style. It's your team uh, that you're inheriting. And, and you may lead it very differently than your predecessor did. That's right. I've certainly seen that. I've seen that more than many times where preconceived notions about an individual were completely wrong once they got in a different environment. So be, be careful about getting rid of them too quickly. Absolutely. Well, gosh, Mike, I think it's a... But, but, but the flip side is important, too, right, which is, you know, I also see a mistake people make, which is, you know, staying with someone... That's know, right. Too long. ...significantly after it was pretty clear they weren't really going to make it. Yeah. Right? And I think that, and that's sometimes a conceit, right? It's, it's you know, they, they're, it's my leadership that's going to make the difference with this person. Well, maybe, you know, but... but consider the possibility that's right that no right and, and i think the other thing is you don't want to end up you know caught with a group of people that or you know some key people that really aren't what you need them to be i've certainly made, um, made that because mistake. The, yep. the other thing that happens that's crucial is you, you know you really do inherit these people after a while right they, they do become your team and and you want to be sure that you know you, you've got at least a good chunk of the team you really want yeah, I agree. I mean, I've made that mistake where I thought if I could just, you know, if they could just saw or I could inspire them just a little bit more. But sometimes you just got to get rid of the dead weight. If they, if they if they don't, you know, they got to motivate themselves and they got to make the decision. You know, sometimes you can hang on to somebody too long, and so it's a great trap too. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's a great book. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's a great book, especially for anybody who's. It doesn't matter what your position is. Like I said, you can be at the at the C level office or all the way down to the supervisor level and below it's a great book for anybody transitioning into a new role or new leadership position well thanks and i've enjoyed the conversation yeah so where can they find you i mean obviously this is on amazon i'll have links to that but where else can people uh, plug out where people can get in touch with you or, or find you sure through through genesis advisors is the best way it's www.genesisadvisors.com advisors is spelled with an ers not an ors um that's probably the best way to to reach me Okay. I'll have links to this on the post and when we get it up and online. And uh, again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. 
Yeah, it was a pleasure. I guess before I did, the other place would be LinkedIn. I'm always happy to link in with people, too. LinkedIn? Okay, I'll put your profile and there's a link in the post as well. Hey, listen, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, same here. Talk to you soon. Take care. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.